Well, last week, as we looked at the life of David, we saw a broken David, a David that had, had failed. And, and before we get back into the life of David, I want to share with you just this idea of being, being broken. And, and all of us know what that's like. We've been there. We've watched people's lives fall apart. And, and, and brokenness it's part of humanity, right? We have God's love and God's grace, and then there's this, this brokenness that we all experience at one point. And I, I watched two different lives, two men, um, and, and both of them started in the same spot. I, I watched from a distance. I didn't know them personally until after it had all happened. But uh, the first guy, the first guy was a pastor in a church, a very large church, and he was loved by his church. And it all of a sudden came out one day that he had had an extramarital affair. And all of a sudden, this man that was well-loved, people still loved him, and, but he was weeping. He was broken. And, and he, he came before the church. He admitted his, his faults. He had to resign his position from the church. And he immediately went into a place of, of trying to get his life back in line. And he did went through all the processes, and it was a two to three year process until he finally got back where he was able. The church was allowing him to come back on staff in a different position, and it all looked good until right before it was about to happen, it came out again that he had continued his affair through all the years that he was trying to get all of this back. And, and, and you look at that and you go, hey, He appeared to be broken, and I believe he was. Uh, But in the process of it, he wouldn't let go of what it was he he wanted. And in the process of of his brokenness and and his trying to get back what he had lost, he lost his whole family. And and I walked with his son through the process. Devastating. And then there's another man. I was closer to him, knew him pretty well. He was a church leader, not a pastor, but he was in the church, very active in the church. He was a board member in the church. And one day, the church pastor gets a call from him, letting him know that he's going to be arrested for some sexual things that he had done, that he'd been part of. And the police were literally going to arrest this church member. And this man was broken, to say the least. He he went before the church board, he went before the staff, and he wept and he cried, he admitted his wrongs. And just like the first man, he went through the same process, immediately he started to, to put his life back together. He did all the things he needed to do to be restored, to become whole. And even to this day, this man, if I were to ask him to, he would have come right here before you, and he would have shared his story. And it's hard to listen to. But he would share it, and he would talk about how God took a broken man and put him back together. And, and, and it's a story of how God restores. His family is still intact even to today, despite all that he went through. And, and there's these, the truth is we're all broken. <laughs> and we all have times where life feels like it's fallen apart. And, and here David Last week, wow, did we see some brokenness, right? Uh, we're talking about a guy with an affair and a guy that's going to be arrested for some pretty bad stuff. Uh, David, all he did is have an affair. Oh, and then murder the woman's husband. Did nothing 
too big, but, but David, David in this process, trying to cover it all up, very much like the first man, wasn't going to admit his wrongdoing until it was brought to light. But then you see David in this place of begging God for forgiveness. Now David, if we didn't mention it last week, but he has an affair with Bathsheba, kills Bathsheba's husband, Bathsheba's pregnant, and that baby's born, and then the baby dies. And David goes through this whole process of grieving and in brokenness, and we see David just a disaster. And this is the guy that was the giant slayer, right? He was a national hero, the warrior. He's the one that danced before the Lord with all his heart. He's the one that we say, that's a man that has a heart after God, right? And here he is completely broken. And as all this wraps up, David begs. In Psalm 51, he writes a psalm begging God for forgiveness. In Psalm 51, it says, have mercy on me, O God. Because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stains of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt and purify me from my sin. David is longing to be right with God again. Now, unfortunately for David, he was the king. And unfortunately, for whatever reason, when people are kings or or politicians or whatever it is, life seems to be difficult. And David's family, being king, began to take a toll on him and his family and his kids. And so we get this inside look today of David's incredibly broken family. So following David's own scandal, now we dive into his kids. And his grown kids start to cause him all kinds of problems. And none of my grown kids are here, and I can attest to grown kids do do that from time to time. Following this scandal, we, uh, we start to meet some of his kids, and, and I'm just kind of skim over it because I want to keep it at least PG-13. Um, the actual story is not PG-13. It goes deep into something that's, that's bad. You watch it on TV. I mean, this is, this is terrible stuff. But his son Amnon, at some point, decides that he's in love with his sister, or at least he really likes his sister, and can't have his sister, so he forces himself on his sister and rapes her. And if that's not bad enough, following that, she's disgraced, the family's disgraced, but Absalom, one of the older brothers, hates Amnon. I mean, he despises him, and I'm just going to say for good reason. I mean, this is, this is bad stuff. But Absalom now, in his hatred, he plans a revenge on Amnon. And what he does, he plans an event and he invites all the brothers and sisters to come to this event and he has two of his men kill Amnon right in front of everybody. And so while everyone's gathered around, all the princes, all the, all the princesses, they're all there at the event and Amnon is murdered right in front of them. You can imagine the horror that goes through the place. All of David's sons, they flee because they think they're next. And, and they're, they're running for their lives. And, and basically in the, in the process of all of this, David gets word from a messenger what has happened. And you can imagine David's grief. He's already grieving over his daughter. He's already, he's already grieving about the brokenness in his family. And now his son Absalom, or, uh, Amnon is, is murdered. And I get it, Amnon was not a good guy. But he's murdered. 
And David is just a mess here. And, and what's amazing to me is when you read through this, when you look at it, you have to remember that David came in to the kingship as a pretty humble guy. Pretty normal guy. Didn't come from wealth. Didn't come from a prestigious family. The first king, King Saul did. But David, it's like God chose a humble guy. And David was pretty humble. He was pretty, had things together for the most part. But you go, look what power does, right? Look what wealth does. I mean, already one generation from David, things are really just falling apart for this family. And it's, it's getting corrupt. And so in 2 Samuel 13, we find out about those coming to tell David. It says, as he finished speaking, the king's sons came in, wailing loudly. The king, too, and all his attendants wept very bitterly. Absalom, the one who had had Amnon killed, fled. After Absalom fled and went to Geshur, he stayed there for three years. And King David longed to go to Absalom. Just that last line, just like, Absalom just killed your son. I know he's your son, but David always seems to soften, doesn't he? Even when terrible things have happened, he tends to soften. And I get it, it's your son. So he wants Absalom to come back to Jerusalem. So eventually, they bring Absalom back to Jerusalem. And David keeps him at arm's length for the most part because Absalom... You know, he did some pretty bad stuff, so we're going to keep him in arms. He's not going to let him be part of the, the decisions being made. And, and so he keeps Absalom at arm's length, but allows him to live in Jerusalem. Unfortunately, that makes Absalom very angry. And his anger begins to grow, and he begins to scheme against his own dad now. So he's killed his brother, now he's scheming against his father. But before we get to Absalom's scheming... We need to find out about Absalom, and we can see just a little bit here, but we're going to read in 2 Samuel 14. It says, In all of Israel there was not a man so highly praised for his handsome appearance as, um, for his handsome appearance as Absalom. From the top of his head to the sole of his foot, there was no blemish in him. So he's a good-looking guy, right? I, I actually, I, I tried to find a picture. I just searched, you know, good-looking guys, and I could not find one. I, I'm not very good at judging whether guys are good-looking. There's Fabio, but he's kind of old now and kind of funny hair. But, but there's, uh, you know, I look, my friend John Caputo said I should have put his picture up, and I'm sure a lot of you are like, you could have put my picture up, whatever. But I couldn't find one, so I'm just going to let you picture what this man looked like. No blemish from head to toe, but it gets even better, okay? It says, whenever he cut the hair on his head. He used to cut it, cut his hair once a year because it became too heavy for him. He would weigh it, and its weight was 200 shekels. I mean, this guy, whatever it was, the shampoo, conditioner, whatever, volumizer, I mean, this guy had some hair. I mean, it was thick, and it was lush, and it was beautiful. I mean, I mean, not only was he good-looking, but his hair just flowed in the wind. And people loved Absalom. I mean, look at this. And, and you find out in 2 Samuel 18 that not only was he good-looking, but he built a monument to himself. I mean, who does that? He builds a monument to himself. You know, there we go. I'm going to make a statue of myself. I... I It'd be like me putting a statue out on the patio of myself, Pastor Chris. 
And I could be waving. I could be throwing a football. I'd be good. Whatever it is. But that's what it would be like. You're putting, you make a monument to yourself. But that's Absalom. That's who we're dealing with here. And so now Absalom, he's scheming against his dad, against David. And so he begins basically a political campaign against his dad. And so here's what Absalom does. With all his flowing, beautiful hair, he goes to the city gates and he greets everybody that comes into the city gates. He shakes their hand. He actually kisses them and hugs them. And if anyone's coming in to, for, to go to court, he asks them, well, why are you going to court? What's going on? And they would tell him their story. You've heard people's stories of why they're going to court. And guess what Absalom did? He agreed with every one of them. Every one of them. He said, oh, you are right. And you know what? If I was the judge, in other words, if I was in power, I would help you out. And you read that, you hear that, and you go, is he running for office today? I mean, because that's, that's exactly it, right? There's a guy, and you may know him, you're not, I don't even know who he is or what political party he is, but I've seen him three times now, and he's at busy intersections in Oceanside and Vista. And when you pull up, there's all these signs and people waving, and I assume it's him, but he's standing there going, <laughs> pointing, thumbs up, looking in the windows of people. I mean, he is, I mean, I'm like, that's Absalom. If his hair was long and flowing, it's Absalom right there. I mean, and so that's, ex so Absalom's doing this. He's like preparing to overtake David. And it says in 2 Samuel 15, it says, Absalom behaved this way toward all the Israelites who came to the king asking for justice. And so he stole the hearts of the people of Israel. Isn't that amazing? He told all these people, I'm on your side. And every one of them believed him. And he stole their hearts. What's happening in Israel is a civil war. It's being divided. And so now we go to 2 Samuel 15, verses 13 through 14, and things are happening now. The civil war is taking place. It says, a messenger came and he told David, the hearts of the people of Israel are with Absalom. Then David said to all his officials who were with him in Jerusalem, Come, we must flee, or none of us will escape from Absalom. We must leave immediately, or he will move quickly to overtake us and bring ruin on us and put the city to the sword. I mean, this happened pretty quick as you're reading through it in, in 2 Samuel. But this is devastating. I mean, what a turn of events. You've got David. A man after God's own heart. God placed him as king. And even today, the Jewish people, who do they look at as the greatest king of all time? David. And his own son has planned a hostile takeover of his kingship. I mean, David was the giant slayer, the national hero, the one that danced before God. And now he's on the run from his own son. And the people have turned against him. I mean, he is broken and humiliated. At one point in their, their journeys, it says that David continued up the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went. His head was covered, and he was barefoot to show this humiliation. All the people with him covered their heads too and were weeping as they went up. David's in a bad place. <laughs> and and uh, David writes in Psalm 6, and it's during a bad time of his life. It could possibly be during this time where he's running from Absalom. But this is what he says in Psalm 6. He says, I am worn out from sobbing all night. 
I flood my bed with weeping, drenching it with my tears. My vision is blurred by grief. My eyes are worn out because of all my enemies. Wow, that sounds like a broken man to me. And and I love that David was so honest in the Psalms. It was like his journal. I mean, he's just like writing it out. This is is how I feel. And, And here in this moment, he is just beside himself. It's his own son that's come up against him. But in this moment of brokenness, David rises up. It's like, it's like all of a sudden he goes, wait a minute, this can't happen. And so David pulls together all his loyal fighting men. It's like David goes from this, this broken, ashamed, humiliated man to going, okay, I'm actually a war hero, <laughs> and I know what to do now. And so he pulls together his troops. Absalom's bringing his troops from Jerusalem, and they meet, and they have a battle of all battles. 20,000 men were killed that day in the battlefield. But David's men won. They beat Absalom, and they beat this, this rebellion against him. So David once again goes back to who he is, you know, this warrior, and they, and they win. And, and as, they, as they win, Absalom, the, the son who's wrote, risen up against, he's fleeing for his life. And so as he's, as he's fleeing, he's on a mule, and the mule's going. If you can imagine, his hair is just blowing so beautifully in the breeze. And the picture scene is him running, and he goes to duck under a tree as the mule is at full speed. Unfortunately, his beautiful, lush hair got stuck in the tree. And the mule kept going, and he's dangling from his hair. How ironic is this, right? He was so proud of his hair. And now he's hanging from the tree, and his hair's stuck in it, and they get word that Absalom's hanging from a tree by his beautiful hair. And so Joab, the commander of David's armies, goes and kills Absalom. Now, David, it's his son, right? (laughs) And David, they won the battle. But his son dies. I I understand it's the son that rose up against him. It's his enemy at this point. But his son dies. But but in the process of all of this, David writes Psalm 3 about his time of running from Absalom. And the beginning of it is this. He says, Lord, how many are my foes? I mean, even my own sons now, right? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. Again, this is like David's journal. But then David follows that up with this. But you, Lord, are a shield around me. My glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord and he answers me from his holy mountain. I love this, in the midst of all of the brokenness, in the midst of his family, in the midst of all the political uprise, what does he do? He goes, God, you are my shield. And my favorite line is, he is the one who lifts my head. Absalom, he was lifting his own head. (laughs) He he was proud. He built his own monument. What does David do? He depends on God to lift his head up. His pride doesn't come from him. His pride comes from God. So David, even in the midst of all of this, is still pointing to God. The battle's over. Joab comes up to David and says, We've won. Absalom is dead. And David weeps. In fact, he cries so much as they head back 
that the troops who just won a huge victory for David don't even know what to do. They're like, do we celebrate? Do we, do we cry with them? And so there's this, there's this unrest in the camp. And Joab has to come to David and go, David, I get it, man, it's your son. But you've got to pull out of this. Your, your people need you. And, and so somewhere in the midst of this mourning and this crying, David stands up, goes out, and speaks to the troops. And he starts at this point bringing the country back together. The country had been completely divided. I mean, this, this country is broken, right? And now David goes, okay, we need to come back together. He goes back to Jerusalem. He begins the healing of a nation, of bringing the country back together. David goes from this, this broken man to rising up and going, no, this is who God created me to be. I'm the king. I don't always want to be the king, but he is. And so here David rises up and he begins to unite the kingdom again of Israel. This week I was challenged. As I look at the life of David, and I think about our own nation, and many of us were like, oh man, it's, it's terrible. We're divided, and, and the political things are, are just awful. And you look at this, and I go, how did David handle this? How did the man after God's own heart, how did he handle this political situation? This civil war in his own land? And there's a few things that stand out to me about David, both personally and politically. First of all, if you look at David, he always honored kings. Even before he was king, if you remember, there's a guy named King Saul. King Saul hated David. He tried to kill David. He chased David. David. David was on the run. And if you read all the way through the stories of David, he never one time says one negative thing about King Saul, except that God placed him there. David had opportunities to take the life of King Saul and end the misery of the nation and to make himself king, and he refuses to do it. Why? Because God placed Saul as king. And he saw it as God's job to remove him as king. And I find that, wow, what respect David had even for his enemy, right? It, it reminds me of a an event, it's been actually years ago. I was watching, I, I was standing in the same room with two people that were debating over the presidents of the United States. Uh, man A, he really liked the newly elected president. He was so excited about the newly elected president. And, and he was debating man B, who didn't like the new president, but liked the former president. And here they are in their debate. And, and man A says, do you believe that God placed the new president there? And man B paused for a moment and said, well, I can't argue with that. God's in control. So yeah, I, I guess God put him there, even though I don't like him. God put him there. But then man B goes back to man A and says, well, do you believe that God placed the prior president that you didn't like in office? And that man goes... Mm, I doubt it. I doubt it. It's like God was sleeping during that election, right? He just kind of, ah, darn it. I dozed off and he got elected. Man, 
But how interesting is it that we are so quick to go, this is God's man, this is God's man, when it's all up to God, right? And what are we called to do? Well, David honored Saul, right? And if you go to Romans 13, Paul, and Paul was political. Paul grew up in a political world. Even his, his religion was political. And yet listen to what Paul says in Romans 13. Everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authorities come from God, and those in position of authority have been placed there by God. And then you move on in Romans 13, and Paul says, pay your taxes. I really don't want to, but especially now owning a house, that's not fun. Pay your taxes and government fees to those who collect them, and give respect and honor to those who are in authority. And then Paul goes on and he lists a few of the Ten Commandments, like don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't covet, don't murder. And he says those are there. Why are those there? These and other commandments are summed up in this one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to others. So love fulfills the requirements of God's law. What Paul tells us when it comes to politics, honor and love. Honor and love. You see, the other part of David that I find absolutely amazing is he always led with love. He always led with mercy. A son that rebels against him, he leads with mercy. He he always leads with this place of forgiveness. We've been forgiven, right? We've been shown mercy. And I think from David... He's going, I'm going to offer that same mercy. David's family was a mess. But he offered them love. He offered them mercy. Did they deserve it? Did he agree with them? Probably not. But that's what we're called to do. Because here's the thing. We live in a broken world. Look at David's world. What a broken world. Do you think there were people going, oh my goodness, our country is a mess today. Yeah, because they were having a civil war. And we are in the same place today going, oh man, our country is a mess. Our world is falling apart and we're afraid and we're, we're angry because of all of this has happened. Well, let me tell you something. The world hasn't changed. It's still broken. It was broken then and it's broken now. And when things are like that, we are fearful And we can get angry. But like David, we need to lead with mercy. We need to lead with love. It doesn't mean you agree with them. It means you love them. (laughs) Why do we do that? Well, God calls us to love our neighbor. And he calls us to love our enemy. He just calls us to love. Period. That's what God calls us to do. You know, the first... Ten Commandments, or the, the, the Ten Commandments, the ones that I read earlier, uh, the back half was about loving your neighbor, right? Uh, the first three are all pointing to God. What are you supposed to do? What are these commandments? Well, you honor God. You love God with all your heart. You put him above everything else. You shouldn't have anything else above God. And then you just honor him. You honor his day. You, you honor God. So you love him. You focus on him. You honor him. And and so when you look at those, you go, okay, that's how I need to live my life. Whether it's with my family, whether it's at work, or whether it's in the political world. And David was in the political world, right? 
In Psalm 124, he writes a psalm to the people of Israel, to the nation of Israel. And, and I read this this week, and I go, man, this is what America needs to hear. This is what the world needs to hear, right? This is what David says in verse 1 of Psalm 124. What if the Lord had not been on their side? It's a question. What if the Lord's not been on their side? Well, verse 3 answers that they would have, been sw- they would have swallowed us alive with their burning anger, talking about their enemies. Their enemies would have destroyed them. God wouldn't have been on our side. Then it says the waters would have engulfed us. A torrent would have overwhelmed us if God wasn't on our side. And so what do we do? We praise the Lord. That's it. We praise the Lord. Because our help is from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Our help comes from God. The one that created us, the one that created the world that we live in, the one that allows politics to happen. Where does our help come from? It doesn't come from a king. Our help doesn't come from a country or an army or a president or a political party. Our help comes from God, period. So who should we cry out to? Who should we praise? Who should we point to? God alone. What I want to do is I want to be like the good parts of David. (laughs) Although we're all broken. Me too. But I want to lead with love. And I want to lead with mercy. And I want to honor, respect, and love people. Whether I agree with them not that's what we're called to do pray with me dear heavenly father we just acknowledge this morning that you are in control that nothing happens that's a shock or surprise to you you're in control And so we do what we can and we give you everything. And we just trust you with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul. And Lord, I pray that you would give us the ability to love and to honor and have mercy. And we just pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being here this week. And my prayers for you is that as you go through this week, that God's love and God's joy just go before you. Have a great week. You are dismissed.